0: Well, good morning. Um, my name is Rob Plummer, and I'm one of the non staff pastors here. And while Kevin's taking a break in the summer, I'm filling in this week. Uh, I'm not going to take it personally, but I do notice that I'm the only fill in pastor that has caution cones on the stage and has signs like do not enter, caution, all those sort of things. So I won't take that personally. Um, well, happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. And. Uh, since it's Father's Day, we're going to have a little Father's Day quiz for you. If you could choose what present you would get for Father's Day. We have three choices. Letter A, the first, perhaps one of these nice ties, like one of these. Letter B, maybe you'd like a world's best dad mug. Or letter C, peace for one week. Now we're not talking about world peace. We're talking about inner tranquility, no anxiety, no stress. No strife, just harmony in relationships with others. Now, why am I asking, why am I I giving you this quiz? Well, two reasons. First, it's Father's Day, so we have to have an obligatory mention somehow related to Father's Day, and kudos to you guys, that's enough for you, right? You're like, that's cool. It's Father's Day, that's all you need to say. We do have a donut sculpture out here as well. Seriously, if you want a donut afterwards, so that's even bonus. But secondly, uh, just to get us thinking about what we long for and what we want, and peace is something that we really do want and we really do long for. And this is, and it's something that the Bible speaks very practically about. I mean, if you look in the world, advertisers and marketers know that we want peace, don't they? I mean, if you, you see the advertisement for the yoga class, the woman has the most serene you know, look on her face. It's like, if you take this class, you will feel peace. Or the Disney... Uh, come to Disney resorts, right? Your your family may be in strife, but if you come to Disney, then you will skip through the park, and your children will fall asleep, cuddling you with goofy ears on. Everything will be harmonious in your relationships, right? But but we're 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 looking. We want the Bible. We don't want the world to define what peace is. We're going to look to the scripture and ask, what is peace, and how can we experience it more? We're in the midst. Why are we talking about peace? We're in the midst of a nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a term that Paul uses to describe a number of qualities that Christians have. Right, These are gifts that God has given us when we become believers. We have love and joy and peace. These are things that are in our life, but they're things we're to cultivate and grow in as well. And so both of those things are true. They're, these are gifts of God. If you're a Christian, you have love and you have joy and you have peace, but this is something you're called deeper into to grow into. So we're... We're going to continue looking at this short text and working through these qualities, peace for this week. So I invite you to stand as we read from Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word is a shield and a refuge to us, and our hope is in your word. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things, that we might leave here uh, having had the quality of peace in our life cultivated and watered, that it might grow um, today and in coming days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So we're going to talk about peace a little bit more topically in the Bible this morning. But before we do that, we're going to hone in for just a little bit more on this passage. So looking a little more closely at this passage and then looking throughout the Bible at a number of different scriptures. First, in Galatians 5.22, we see it begins with the word but, right? There's a contrast. So, we're picking up in the middle, middle of, a, of a discussion, and so we could say, you know, on the other hand, however, Paul goes on. So, what is it that he's contrasting? He's contrasting a life lived in sin, a life lived apart from the grace and empowering of God, versus a life lived a Christian life, a life lived empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we need to look back and see what's being contrasted. We look back in verses 19 through 21 and he's talking about this is what the non-Christian life cut free from all restraint where it goes to these sorts of things, the works of the flesh. He's talking about the sinful nature what it produces in and of itself, what it results in. He lists a number of things sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Right, and, and Paul is saying the life lived apart from God, this is what it produces, but the life that God gives us is a life of love and joy and peace. Now, Paul's not saying that Christians, if you read the the, chapter 5. He's not saying that Christians will never be tempted by those things. They'll never, he's not saying they'll never fall into those things. Christians envy, and they have jealousy, and they have anger, and they fall into sexual immorality. But the difference is a Christian is grieved by those things. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we fall into those things, and we experience grief and repentance. And, and we, we desire to live a life that Paul describes in the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look a little bit more carefully at that phrase, fruit of the Spirit. We can contrast fruit of the Spirit with works of the flesh, right? Our sinful nature, something we work and produce, are those things left to ourselves. But the Spirit, the Spirit of God, produces these other qualities, right? This is a supernatural work of God, to have love and to have joy, to have peace. That's something that the Spirit produces in us. We give thanks and praise to Him, but it's also something that, that, that doesn't just come completely preformed and fully made, it's something that grows, right? That language, the metaphor of fruit speaks to growth, right? It speaks to progression, often gradual progression. My, I have a young daughter who wants to grow tomatoes, and we plant them. I mean, it's like the next day, she's like, where are they? You know, where, where, But, but it's like, I was like, well, it's, it says it's like 60 days, right? To grow something takes time, and it's often very gradual. So this is not a call to passivity, but it's a call to action. If you look in chapter 5, in verse 18, we're to be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, we're to live by the Spirit. In verse 25, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. So while, while it's wonderful we celebrate that God has given us love and joy and peace, these are things we're called to cultivate. We're called to, to keep in step with the Spirit as we hold on more tightly and experience peace. But what is this peace, right? We need to talk about that, right? What, what is Paul talking about when he, we say we have peace as the fruit of the Spirit? Well, there are three main options here, right? One is objective peace with God. We have reconciliation with God. Another option is that we have an internal tranquility. We have a, a peace, a comfort from trusting God. And a third option is we have peace with others, right? Harmony with others. And, and we look at this passage, it's, it's very... You know, it's hard, there's not a whole lot of context there. But if you you look back to to the to the sins that are listed there, they're usually very external visible things like fits of rage, anger, sexually immoral behavior, drunkenness. So in contrast, Paul says, You you know, this is what it looks like in the visual realm, in, in the we can see visually when sin nature is allowed to produce the fruit that it produces what does the presence of god in your life it produces visible fruit so it seems like one of the most obvious ways to understand it, it's talking about relationship peaceful harmony there's a harmony. there's a difference in our relating with other people because we're christians we look back at that other list but it also has has elements of the direction of one's heart invisible aspects like like jealousy. Jealousy has evidence, but it's it's a direction of the heart or or envy or enmity or anger. And so, in the same way in these other lists, love is more of a direction of the heart that has action that that produces actions. Joy is, is a delight of the heart that then produces visible behavior. So, in the same way, there's there's an inner comfort and trust in God that then that then is visible in outward relationships. So here's my Here's my working definition of what Paul, I think, meant by peace in this list. What, what is the peace that is the fruit of the Spirit? Peace here seems to be talking about an internal tranquility that comes from confidence in God that spills out in harmonious relationships. I'll read that again. It's an internal tranquility, right? A comfort and a trust that comes from confidence in God and that spills out in harmonious relationships. And all this is grounded in on the fact that God has reconciled to us to Himself through Christ and has given us His Spirit, and and we realize again that this is not something that's come all done right. It's it comes it comes as fruit to grow and prosper and for us to enter more deeply in. And that's what we're going to talk about in the sermon: is how can we let, let's understand this a little more deeply and how we can experience it. So the rest of the sermon is going to be topical, looking through some different scriptures and different dimensions of what peace is. Four of those. First off, we're going to talk about peace biblically is grounded in the nature and promise of God. So, in other words, peace is not just something that's dependent on us as humans, our ideas. Peace was existent, in existence long before any human or any, anything was created, right? Peace is, is grounded on the very nature of who God is. God is love. God is holy. God is peace, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, Paul is dealing with disorder in the church there. There's, you know, the worship, some chaos in the worship service. And Paul's argument, he says, for God, he says they should be orderly and harmonious and peaceful. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, right? If you're in relation with a God who is peace, who within and of himself is harmonious and whole and complete, right, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's complete harmony and perfection and unity, and agreement. If we're in relationship with a God who is peace, we should reflect that peace. In Judges 6.24, Gideon names his altar there, the Lord is peace, right? Yahweh, the God of Israel, Yahweh is shalom, right? And if you know uh, the word shalom, the word for peace in Hebrew, you realize it often has a, a wider range of meaning than the English word peace. It speaks to Completeness, right, and harmony, wholeness, freedom from care, well-being, and 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 it, I think it's it's grounding to us to realize the, that 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 for all eternity past, now, and for all eternity future, reality, the peace that we long for, that we desire, is there and is ultimately grounded on on who God is in Himself. Right, God is peace, and there's a perfect peace among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when God created the world, the world he created reflected that peace. It was good and harmonious. It was a place of fulfillment and rest and completeness. And the reason it's not now is because of rebellion, because of human rebellion. And and we can look at what we know of uh, documented world history. We can go back to the oldest documents we have, which are clay tablets or hieroglyphics or Sumerian tablets, and we can see for all of documented human history, it has not been a history of peace, right? It's been a history of war and strife and backstabbing and anxiety and frustration and worry and fretting. But the good news is, according to the Bible, this is a very temporary, even though to us it seems overwhelming, it's a temporary thing because the Bible reports that there's coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the old order of, way of this will have passed away, and who God is in and of Himself will be reflected perfectly in the ordered and harmonious new creation that is coming. In Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5, we read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The reason we long for peace, the reason we want peace, is we were made for peace. We were made in the image of a God who is himself peace. We were not made for cancer. We're not made for death. We're not made for divorce or strife or anxiety, right? We were made to worship and love a God and enjoy him forever. Um, In the back of my house, we have a a sunroom, and we recently put some binoculars there so we can watch birds. So I guess that officially means that I'm an older person now. But when when we were One of my daughters wandered back in there, and she picked up the binoculars and she looked through them the wrong way. She's like, "Whoa, everything's really small, right?" And uh, and it made me think about. I mean, that's a distortion of reality. But when we put the Bible up, it makes everything look really small in the right way, right? All the anxieties and troubles, things that things that take away from our peace, it makes all those things shrink. And then when we read the Bible, it makes the God of peace, who is Himself peace. Look really big, and it makes the promises that he's made look really big. So, so one one point of application here is just we need to have the the binoculars, the lens of Scripture, rightly making small the things that rob us of peace, and making big the things that uh, reinforce and show us what what is the true reality behind the current world that we live in. Paul says it this way in Romans eight eighteen. He says, "I consider that our present sufferings Right, things that might cause us anxiety and stress and take away from our peace, these things are not worth comparing. They're seen in the proper perspective with the glory that will be revealed in us, with the glory of God that will that we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth when we're with Him forever. So we first see, first of all, that biblically peace is grounded in the nature and promise of God. Secondly, we see that biblically peace is reconciliation with God through Christ. I saw that in the little video here at the beginning. People Christians, we intuitively know this, right? We, we, there is no inner tranquility, there is no harmonious relationships with others unless we first, right, step back the ground. Unless we first have peace with God, unless we have peace with our Creator, we can't have peace with other creatures. We can't have peace within ourselves. This is the fundamental grounding, the foundation of all real peace and harmony within ourselves and with others. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1. He says, "'For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior.'" I want you to just listen to that language, right? Right? Enemies. This is this is what what we were alienated, not reconciled, at war. All right? So, so everyone in the biblically, everyone in this room fits in one of two categories. All right? So category, we'll say category one is right now, you are at war with God. Whether you realize it or not, you're alienated from God. You're an enemy of God. You're not reconciled to God. And if you were to die or Christ were to come back and world history were to be wrapped up, you would be separated from the shalom, the peace of God forever, right? The other category, the other category, everyone in this room fits in one of these two categories. The other category is you were alienated from God. You were an enemy of God. You were not reconciled with God, but now you are forgiven. You you were an enemy, and now Jesus through his blood on the cross through the substitutionary death he made for you you have been brought close to god it's it's almost like you wave you you wave the white flag of surrender right you've been you've been in rebellion against the king but you wave the white flag and then you're you're brought into the king's camp but you're not put in a prison you're not put in the prisoner of war camp but you're brought into the castle and you're given new clothes and you're given a feast and you're adopted into the king's family. It's an amazing thing, that grace that God has shown those who were rebels and enemies against him. So a point of application is if you're in group number one today and the grace of God is working in your heart and mind and you're saying, that is me. I am not reconciled to God. I'm alienated from God. I'm an enemy of God. If that's you, please don't leave here today without receiving the free get, grace of God in Christ it's turning from your sin and rebellion saying God I've that's me I'm not in relationship with you if I were to die I'd be separated from you God I've been in rebellion forgive me I trust that Jesus died for my sins welcome me on the basis of his life and death let me encourage you don't and then don't don't leave here without sharing that with a friend or a pastor we're eager or eager to talk more with you if you're just on the way and you don't feel that you're you're there yet. If you are part of the second group who has known and received this, let us remember this. Let's remember that we're all forgiven enemies. We're all, we once, all, those of us who are Christians, we were all once enemies of God. And, and we need to remember that because enemy, if we remember, we are enemies who are forgiven. We were alienated, who've been reconciled. It enables us to walk through life with a predisposition. We're leaning towards reconciliation. We're leaning towards loving our enemies because we're constrained by the love of God we've experienced. We need to remember who we are and what, what God has given us. See, first of all, peace is grounded in the nature and promise of God. Remember who God is in himself and what he's promised us to see rightly this world and its current disorder. Secondly, biblically, peace is reconciliation with God through Christ. There is no inner peace. There is no harmonious peace with others apart from first being reconciled with the God of the universe. Third, we see that biblically peace is is an inner tranquility, right? Peace, the word peace occurs more than 350 times in the Bible, and when it occurs, there are usually different dimensions of peace that are talked about, And, and numerous times it speaks of peace as an inner condition of calm, or tranquility that comes from having confidence in God. In Psalm 48, the psalmist speaks of this kind of peace. He says, "I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety." Right? This is—he doesn't lie down and sleep in peace because uh, he's been illuminated by some you know experience or because all his dreams are fulfilled or whatever he he lies down in sleep in peace because he's trusting he has a, a trust in the living god and he's confidence in the living god i think uh, it was pastor chad who challenged us to, to, to understand some of the qualities in the psalms by thinking of an anti-psalm so the anti-psalm right to say well the opposite what's the opposite of peace let me to understand peace let me think of the opposite of peace we'll call this the anti-Psalm. Psalm negative four, negative eight, right, would be this. I will lie down and toss in anxiety because I'm not looking to you, God, and I'm fearful and worried. When I was at the beach recently, I read a book by Tom Oden called A Change of Heart. It's mostly an autobiography. It's a fascinating book. But in that book, he he speaks about, there's a part of it, he's real interested in psychology and other things, but there's a part of it where he speaks about three things that rob modern people of peace, rob modern Christians, rob modern people of the experience of internal peace. And I thought it was real helpful. He talks about the guilt from the past, boredom or listlessness, meaninglessness about the present, monotony or displeasure with the present, and anxiety about the future, and, and we don't have time to go into this in great detail, right? Each one of these could be a, a sermon on guilt or on boredom, on anxiety. But I want to briefly show that the Scripture answers each one of these things that is an enemy of peace. First off, the guilt about the past. There is good guilt, right? If we're living in active sin and rebellion against God, it's good to feel guilty because that guilt, that, that discomfort, that anxiety, that fretting is is should be driving us to turn to the the God to our creator right <laughs> to repent of our sin and to to it, either for the first time to experience justification and forgiveness or if we're in relationship with him as a father to a son to receive his parental forgiveness right there is a good sense of guilt but many christians many of us walk around with with a false shame and guilt right just thinking and troubled by sins and things we've done and repented of multiple times. We've dealt with before, but we're, we're weighed down and troubled and anxious and harassed by those things. In Colossians one twenty two, the end of the passage we were looking at a moment ago, it says, but now, ending here, it says, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, right? And when we, when we, when we carry around that false guilt, it, it's really, if we look at it straight on, it's really saying, well, I, I guess um, God didn't tell the truth about me, right? It's really doubting His wonderful promises. Or it's saying, in essence, it's, it's implicitly saying, well, Christ's death must not have been sufficient for this sin. Or it's saying, Christ's righteousness must not have been good enough for 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 my my need of righteousness and we in, when we look at it in the abstract, we say, oh, no I, of course, I would never deny that christ's death was in, i would never say his death was insufficient or his righteousness was lacking, or I would never say that God is lying, but in essence we're there's a mismatch between what God is declaring about us and what we're believing about ourselves a second a second enemy of peace um Is what he calls a boredom or a listlessness about the present. We might also speak about this as a monotony or a discontentedness in daily life. Right? Maybe, maybe you think you're just there's a sort of sense of this is this is meaningless, or I don't like my normal life. I don't like doing three loads of laundry every day. I don't like my job. I don't like cleaning hotel rooms. I don't like staring at a computer screen all day. I don't like. Maybe you have a job of high status. You make a lot of money, but you hate it. You're like, I don't like doing this. I'd rather, I'd rather do this, but it makes no money. I, this is not who I am. And again, if we come to the Word of God, we don't have time. This is a whole, whole theology of vocation we could talk about, right? But the, the Bible tells us, if we could summarize it, it says, whatever work is in our hands to do right now, doing laundry, Cleaning hotel rooms, staring at computer screens. Unless it's sin, that work that's in our hands is work that God's put there. Doesn't mean we're gonna do that the rest of our life, or but that's the work God's given us. And we're He will enable us to do it for His glory and for the love of our neighbor. And if you really understand that, that transforms the most mundane task. So if you're here and like right now, your your job is flipping burgers at Wendy's, and that's that's like the job that culture would despise the most. Oh, you're just working at a fast food restaurant, doing a mundane task. The scripture would say, no, that's work God's put in your hands for now. Not that you have to do it forever, that's the work you have in your hands right now. And it's meaningful work, and it's work that allows you to love your neighbor. So when you get up in the morning, there's, a, there's someone who's praying the Lord's Prayer, God, give me this day my daily bread. And you're going to be an instrument of God to answer that prayer. You'll be used by God to give that person their daily bread. And when you actually do it, There's no more real, tangible way to love someone than to feed them, right, or clothe them. You're you're providing the most basic necessities. In Colossians three seventeen, Paul says, "Whatever you do, right, whatever you do, laundry, flipping burgers, work that the world despises, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him." We can experience a sense of meaning and purpose. And harmony, because we accept, for now, not that we have to stand it forever, it's not fatalism, but from the moment. This is the work God has put in our hands, and we embrace it with meaning and with joy. Third, um, Odin talks about anxiety about the future, and I think that's something we can all relate to, right? The different Many of us came in here today, maybe anxious about a job situation or anxious about a health situation, anxious about a relationship anxious about our kids or about our marriage, um, about our parents. And uh, I re- in this last week, I was reading the newspaper, and I learned about an anxiety I didn't even know about. It's, there's something called the fear index uh, related to the stock market. Has anyone ever heard of this, right? And it's, it, re- it's, it scores how anxious people are, how fearful they are that the stock market is going to crash. And according to this article, the fear index on the stock market right now is almost zero, which causes many, many people to be extremely anxious because people are not anxious about <laughs> the stock market. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but like, wow, this is really scary because people are just inflated bubble if they don't see reality that this could... And so, so it's interesting. Humans, we're, we're anxious or we're anxious about even not being anxious. Um, and ultimately, anxiety about the future, right? There's there's obviously there's issues of wisdom and care and prudence and things like that. But, but anxiety about the future is ultimately a lack of trust in God's goodness as Father and His sovereignty. It's saying, I don't trust that God's in control. I don't trust that He's ultimately good, and, and I don't trust this is going to work out ultimately. And, you know, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. But maybe this is an exception to that because it doesn't look very good right? In Philippians 4, 6 to 7, Paul gives us the antidote to that anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about anything. So, whatever you you need to fill the word anything with whatever you brought in here this morning. Like, what is it? Like, the job, the relationship, the health. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Not because we're like Pollyanna, just, well, you know, be happy, don't worry, but, but because we're in relationship with a sovereign and loving God who is our heavenly Father. He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, right? we take it to the Father, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we see these different things that try to rob us of peace. Right? God gives us peace, but how much we need to cultivate it? How easily how easily our peace is disturbed, and we see the danger of guilt, we see the da- false guilt, we see the danger of listless, meaningless boredom, you know, just discontent with daily life, we see the anxiety about the future, and the commonality among all of those is the answer to them is, is not believing the lies about our guilt, believe, believing the lies about our, that our lives are meaningless or monotonous, or believing the lies about the future, but believing what God has said about our guilt, believing what God has said about our work, believing what God has said about our future. There's a a nice picture of this, visual picture for this in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, it says, the person who delights in the law of the Lord, right? They're letting God's word shape their reality. The person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the person who meditates on his word day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, right? So, so, I mean, we're talking about fruit here, and we're talking specifically about the fruit of peace. So, as we think about our lives, you think about your peace is like a, a fruit in your life. You have to say, well, that's something God's given me, but when I look at that fruit in my life, is it, is it ripening, right? Is it like a peach? Is it juicy and red? Is it, I mean, is it, or is it green and Bitter and small, you know, and then and then we look at the roots of our tree. So, just a self-reflective question here: What does the fruit of peace look like in your life, and where is your tree planted? Right? Is your tree planted by streams of living waters? Your tree planted? Are you soaking up? Is your reality being constantly checked and reshaped by God's vision of the world and who you are, and 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 what you're called to? Right? We need we we need to. Uh, a verse that's meant a lot to me the last couple of days is Psalm 119, 114. It says, God, you are our hope. God, you are our hope and our shield. My trust is in your word, right? My, it's, so it's, in, well, it's like, is your trust in God or your trust in his word? Well, the only way I know God, the way God's revealed himself is through his word, and his spirit takes that word and rubs it and applies it in my heart, fills me, with changes the way I view reality. By that I need the word. So, where's your? What does your fruit look like? And where's your tree planted? So we see here one piece is grounded in the nature and promise of God. Two pieces: reconciliation with God through Christ. We have that foundational reconciliation before we experience other peace. Three pieces: an inner tranquility um, that comes from a settled confidence in God. And finally, the fourth fourth element of peace we're going to look at is that peace is relational harmony. With others, right? In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a famous parable about a king uh, and a man who owed that king 10,000 talents of silver. It's like millions and millions of dollars. And in that culture, if you owed someone that much money, you didn't declare bankruptcy, you were sold into slavery, right? So this guy and his family are going to be sold into slavery, and he begs the king for mercy, and the king uh, forgives him freely, and then the guy goes out, and there's another servant who just who owes him a hundred denarii, like maybe modern money fifteen thousand bucks. He chokes the guy and gets him thrown in prison. Jesus says, "No." He says, "There's no way. When you experience reconciliation with God, when you know peace with God, when God makes peace with you, you're required to make peace with others. It's it's a the constraining experience of love and peace. So when we are reconciled with God, it there's a de, it's in there's a demand and there's both a reality and a demand that we must strive for harmony and peace with those around us as a picture of the god who is peace and who has made peace with us we don't have time to talk about it but it's every realm of life right home church society among different races among different socioeconomic groups among genders men and women among people of different ages right god has enabled us called us and is enabling us to live in a harmony that, that, that the culture has no category or explanation for how that peace can exist among people who normally would be in competition and at war with each other. It's a, a scripture that makes this very clear and its application and truth all mixed in together is Romans twelve eighteen. Paul says, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, remember Paul's letters, the first part is filled with all the theology, right? The first part is filled with God has reconciled you to himself through Christ. That's some of the most beautiful expressions of that, the first part of Romans. So this is just the application of that. Because you live at peace with God, you must live at peace with everyone. (laughs) That means spouse, right? That means... Work that all the, but but I love the qualifications, and he has two. <laughs> if it is possible, because sometimes it is not possible, right? Because of the other person, because of their sin, or because of um, their resistance. Sometimes peace, harmony with others is not possible. But second qualification, as far as it depends upon you. So we're not supposed to look at the other, well they need to do this. Well if they did this, well, I, I could get along with. But as far as it depends on us, you say, well what, do you, like, what how would it depend on me? Well, Hebrews 12 kind of lays that out. begins, make every effort. Again, it's a call to action. This is not passivity. God gives us peace, but He calls us to work for peace. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Now That's the first part of it right there, isn't it? We have to confess that many times we don't experience harmony with others because of our own sin, because of our selfishness, because of our bitterness, because of some sin in us. So it's a call to, to, to deal with that. It's a reminder that the Bible says if we come into relationship with the Holy God, He changes us. It's, it's impossible to come into relationship with the Holy God and, and not be changed, to be the same person. It says, be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So it's kind of a contrast. Living in bitterness and unforgiveness, living in peace. Bitterness and unforgiveness is not something that can stay contained. It spreads, and it causes disharmony, and it causes strife. So very immediate point of application... If you have bitterness and disharmony, anger, resentment, that's something to to confess and repent of before God. And sometimes that's something we have to confess and repent of on a daily basis for a while, right? We're like, oh, I thought I dealt with that. Here it is again. Here it is again. But God, I give it to you. I want to be a person of peace. And we want to be the we want to be the ones who who repent first. It's always God, you know, those of you who preach know God has an interesting way of driving home the reality of what you're teaching to you in your own life. So it was Friday night coming home from a a dinner party. Um, My wife and I were having a discussion about our dog, and uh, I said something, and she said, did you say that to jab at me about the dog? I said, no, I was just telling you what we are talking about. But then then later on, the Holy Spirit said, yes, you said that to jab at her about the dog, right? (laughs) So I, I go back, and I'm like, uh, I said that to jab at you about the dog, so that was uh, I. I was wrong. Forgive me. That we have to rep- we have to be quick to repent, right? We have to be the, We have to not say, "Well, what well, the other person this this." We're called to be people who are quick to reconcile, quick to repent, and the only reason we can do that is because we've experienced the reconciling work of Christ. Because we've been forgiven, we're able then to be humble and ask others for forgiveness. We're able to reach out. Uh, with the peace that God has given us and to, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with all people. Each week, we remember that the grounding of our internal peace, the grounding of our relational peace is all upon, based upon the peace that God has made with us through his son, Jesus. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. If you're a Christian joining us here today, you're not a member of Sojourn, we're so glad you're here, invite you to join us in communion. We have several stations around uh, the auditorium here, and you can just get in the line, file up to the front, you tear off a piece of bread, and you dip it in the juice or the wine, whichever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, so glad you're here today. What a great day to come, right, to talk about. It's not an accident that you're here today, I think, that we we talked about the foundational way to know God is that God has made peace with us. We turn away from living in rebellion against Him, and we call out to Him, Say, God, I look to your son. I believe what you said about my sin. I believe what you said about the way to be right with you. And I want to now live as your child. So we invite you as we're taking communion. Please don't, uh, please don't take communion. But, but in, your, in your chair there, just call out to the Lord. Speak to him about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.